Welcome back to the Wake Up With Glow podcast with me, Glow. Today, we're going to be discussing why you won't let things get better for you in your life, why you're struggling to progress to the next level of yourself, why things aren't moving or why they're moving in the wrong direction. Today, I really want to dive into why it is that we stand in our own way, but not just in the way of self-sabotage, but really understanding how it is that we antagonize ourselves, how it is that we become our own adversaries. And with that, it brings me to the important opening concept, which is that we tend to see ourselves as solely the protagonists in our lives. We never stop to consider how it is that we are in fact antagonizing ourselves, how it is that we play the role of antagonist and protagonist, not solely that of the protagonist. And of course, as the individual who tells his or her own story, it would make sense that we would see ourselves in this leading positive role But what about seeing ourselves as our own opponent? I used to always tell people to never underestimate the opposition, never underestimate your opponent. And now that means something so much more when you can acknowledge that you too are often your own opponent. And you should not underestimate yourself. You should not underestimate the power of the ego. You should not underestimate the power that is built up within you to destroy all of the positive power that too is built up within you. Going into the concept of duality, there are so many different parts to you. And This dualistic system where you can see better, see for yourself that you have opposing elements within you, opposing behaviors and opposing thoughts, opposing core beliefs. If you can see that and understand that, then you can begin to heal yourself effectively. Then you can begin to live a life that makes more sense in the way of forward movement. But first, you have to acknowledge that you are both the protagonist and the antagonist in your own life. The world and others affect us, but we also affect ourselves. We act for and against ourselves constantly. And undermining our own heroic journey is what we tend to do while we also intermittently seem to overcome ourselves only to again be trapped by ourselves, to be halted by ourselves for a number of reasons that we're going to touch upon briefly in this episode. There are so many different reasons why you get in your own way. But all of those reasons can inevitably be linked to one particular category, which is your human programming. 
You, being a human being, have a system. You have a program. And despite how self-aware, how enlightened or not you see yourself to be, this programming is still active in you just as it is in everyone else. And getting a grip on that programming, doing the best that we can do with that programming means understanding it. It doesn't mean overriding it necessarily. It doesn't mean changing into a non-human form. It doesn't mean ascending into a different power or being or essence. It simply means starting by understanding how you are set up. So I want to pose a couple of questions, a, a series of questions, if you will, that I hope that you take a moment to either write down, note in your mind, come back to, but I hope that you answer them. Use them as your journal prompt today or tomorrow or the next day. And and the question, the leading question is, are you in the dark about yourself? Do you keep yourself in the dark? Are you in the dark? Are you being honest with yourself about yourself? And that leads me to pose the question of, are you living without a thorough examination of your own patterns? Because you can believe whatever you choose to believe about yourself on a surface level. But deep down on a subconscious level, you know who it is that you are. And so are you examining the patterns of your behavior that tell you who you actually believe yourself to be? That is the proof of your subconscious. What you say is not as much proof as what it is that you are doing or not doing. So examine your behavior. What are you afraid to know about yourself? This is the, this is the power, the power in all of this work is to really question what your fears center around. And it could be many different points. It could be many different things. But ultimately, to break apart your fear, first, of course, to acknowledge that there is fear and then to break it apart and understand what it ties into from your past, what it ties into in speculating about your future and who you wish to become, who you are fearful of becoming, good or bad because of what that would mean for you. We are equally afraid to become something that is great for us as we are afraid to fall off the wagon and become something that we dread the idea of. Because both of those things require us to transform into somebody else, someone who we are not in the present state of. And that is what makes us fearful. Having to take action, having to do something to be unlike ourselves in this present moment is what makes us fearful. Because it demands something of us. So answer those questions when you get a moment and keep answering them and observe how your answers change and observe how you unravel the truth. Because often what happens when we journal, when we incorporate any writing practice into our healing is we begin by answering untruthfully and we slowly develop our truth as we break into it as we are no longer afraid to confront ourselves 
We tend to project our inner antagonist onto others. This is how we dissociate from the antagonist within us. We, I mentioned in the beginning of this episode that we focus solely on the protagonist. We are the leading lady or gentleman in our story and we don't think about how we're sabotaging ourselves. Not openly, not constantly. We don't think about how we're working against ourselves, how we're creating a case that is going to preclude us from doing what we know we want to do, what we say we want to do. Why would I be getting in my own way? That doesn't seem to make sense. I love me. I have my best interests at heart. And yet, time and again, with every single individual, there is proof that we antagonize ourselves. We project the antagonist in us onto others by placing blame, by rationalizing, by pointing a finger and saying, it's not me, it's you. I I would have done it, but I couldn't because of this or that or him or her. We find reasons to justify staying exactly where we are and we believe into them. We believe into, into them so much that we no longer see ourselves as the bully, as the one who is in the way of the way. You have to take full responsibility for how you feel. And in order to do that, I say this all the time because I I so passionately believe in the power of writing. I believe that it is There are different categories of value in the world of therapy. There is value in talking things out because being able to verbalize what it is that you feel is a completely different processing mechanism than simply thinking about it in your own mind and battling with it within yourself. Talking to someone else, talking to yourself, writing things down, these are all completely different practices that incorporate different parts of your brain that utilize them in order to create the breakthroughs that we ultimately are after. So writing will forever be something that I encourage you to do, and here's another opportunity for you to do it. I will tell you exactly what it is that you need to write, what you need to question within yourself. Because many times what keeps people from writing is they don't know how. They don't know what to say to themselves, what to ask of themselves. And they don't know how to, in a way, be their own therapist. And that's my objective, is to teach you how to be your own therapist. So the question right now that I'd like for you to ask and to write on is, what do I feel? It's a broad question, but it's an important one. What do I feel? And this is why I say that these questions need to be answered again and again and again, because this is a development of the truth, not simply an acknowledgement of it. It takes time to acknowledge the truth in you. So the first question is, what do I feel? The next question is, how do I behave? Going off of how you feel, you are going to behave in accordance with your feelings and sometimes in opposition to your feelings. It's not always going to support how you feel. We know this to be true. We know that we don't always act according to how we feel when we should and when we shouldn't. There are so many things at play, so many forces out there in the world that influence what it is that we decide to ultimately do. So I want you to become aware not just of how you feel, but how do you behave based off of that feeling? Are you behaving into your feelings or away from them? 
Does your behavior reflect your feelings? Or do you use your behavior to fight how you feel? And the third component of that is what are your outcomes? Ask yourself, what are my outcomes? How has my behavior ended up? What has my behavior resulted in? Because I I like to think of it as this three-part system to understanding yourself. There's how you feel, there's how you behave, and there's what comes of it. What comes of the feelings and actions that you ultimately live out? Once you've done that, I hope you put it away and you return back to it. I hope you do this because you're going to find that your truth is going to become clear to you. It's going to make an appearance and you'll know when it does because it will be difficult for you at first to answer this. You'll, you'll be swimming in it. You won't really understand. And then one day when you do it, it'll come together. You'll find that you're no longer lying to yourself. You're no longer avoiding the truth of you but instead you're leaning into it. And that's the goal with the writing practice. I want to speak briefly about something referred to as the ostrich effect. And it's interesting that they call it the ostrich effect because it has to do with this imagery around an ostrich burying his his head into the sand. And we all know that great saying of burying your head in the sand, meaning I am going to put my head in the sand and avoid everything going on around me. I'm going to avoid my reality in an effort to protect myself, in an effort to not have to take action. And the irony is that ostriches, they, they, they don't actually do this. They don't bury their heads in the sand. So they're getting a little bit of a bad rep. But what they do do is they dig holes in the ground where they bury their eggs and they occasionally dip their head into the ground in order to rotate those eggs from time to time with their beaks. Nevertheless, the imagery of an ostrich with its head in the sand is still incredibly powerful to describe the psychological phenomenon, this cognitive bias where people ignore negative information that would otherwise offer very valuable information about their progress, about their goals. If only you didn't bury your head in the sand, you could see what's going on with you. And believe it or not, that would be the first step in you doing something about it. But unfortunately, what people tend to do is with their head still in the sand, avoiding the truth of what's going on in their lives, what they're making happen in their own lives, they tend to try to fix things without the acknowledgement of what needs to be fixed. And so you ultimately end up fixing things that don't need to be fixed, fixing things that don't really have that much of an effect on the quality of life that you're trying to live. But... This, this ostrich effect points out to us that we are all doing this to some degree because it is a part of that human program that I mentioned. We come incredibly flawed. It is a part of you being a human being and you inhabiting this earth. You are going to be flawed. And part of that flaw is this protection mechanism, this way that the nervous system protects you by 
helping you to avoid yourself. It literally bypasses the calls of truth. It bypasses when your soul is calling and trying to tell you about yourself. Your nervous system is like, oh, we're just going to go to voicemail. We're just going to skip. We're just going to skip over it. We don't need to have this conversation. We don't need to confront ourselves. We don't need to do shadow work. No, you know, we're just going to go straight to voicemail and the inbox is full. And lucky me, I never have to get that message. That is how many of us are living our lives. And then we are wondering why things aren't getting better. And things aren't getting better because we have our heads in the sand, this metaphorical sand. Okay. Now, there are forces that exist that tend to overpower our desire to do and be better. And it's important that we talk about these forces because my entire MO is that the more aware you are, the better off you'll be. The more aware, you don't have to come out of the gate already changing your behavior, having the solution, having the antidote. All you need to do, my objective is just to make you aware because from awareness, all change, all transformation comes. So to know the forces that exist within you that tend to be stronger than your desire to do and be better is to understand why you're not doing and being better. One of those forces is your personal narrative. We have a strong desire to maintain our personal narrative, to maintain our identity. We want to believe that we know exactly who we are. No one can tell us about ourselves and we are not going to switch up. We are not going to change our beliefs about ourselves. We're going to continue to live into the strongest elements of our identity. That is an incredibly strong force. We desire to be right about ourselves. And anything that comes in our way to counter what we believe to be is right about ourselves must be annihilated. And we will do everything in our power, knowingly or unknowingly. We will avoid information that tells us something different about ourselves. We will avoid people who question us, people who make us doubt ourselves environments that make us doubt ourselves, jobs that make us doubt ourselves. We are going to do everything to remain in this happy bubble of certainty, this happy bubble of being right about who it is that we are. Because it is a very difficult thing to do to accept that you do not know yourself. Because if I don't know myself, then who does? Who knows more about me than me? And where can I find this person? Because I need to be clued in. That becomes the feeling. And it's a terrible feeling because we want to believe that at the least, if nothing else, we can succeed at being who we are. Because if we can't succeed at that, then sheesh, well, well, life seems pretty hopeless. How can I succeed at becoming anything else if I can't just master being what I am right now? The other force that is potentially stronger than your desire to do better is that there is safety in the known, the beautiful and notorious comfort zone. We love a good comfort zone. And I always mention how it gets a bad rep, but honestly, is it not the objective of every person to be comfortable in this life, to some degree to be comfortable? Because if you equate comfort with peace, then why would anyone not want to live in a comfort zone? 
A comfort zone could sound like a utopia if you change your perspective. And that is why it's so endearing to us. We want to live in a place of comfort because in a place of comfort, we know ourselves, we know our surroundings, we have mastered the system. And who doesn't want to be the master of their own fate, of their own life? The problem with that, however, is that mastering your fate is humanly impossible. You can't master your fate because things are constantly changing around you. And to master anything is to posit that things are not going to change into something else. So understanding that your comfort zone can be a lovely place for you to be in so long as you understand that your life will become boring and monotonous and in a way feel purposeless again, once again, the moment you have truly mastered yourself or mastered some level of comfort. There is safety in the unknown and that is a powerful force. But on the other side, we must acknowledge that there is a level of healthy anxiety that we seek. The human being, your human program, here it goes again, your human program, flawed as it may be, nonetheless is designed for you to invite some level of anxiety. And you can think about this. Think about a person in your life. Think about yourself maybe. Whenever things get a little too dull, boring, you feel it. You want to change. You want something to be different. And sometimes you might, you maybe will even invite drama into your life because your life has become so monotonous. The day has become so monotonous. You want something exciting, even if that excitement is something negative. So despite there being safety in the known, your programming is going to seek and desire some level of anxiety, a healthy level of anxiety. So that means that there is hope for you after all. There is hope for all of us to be able to break through our comfort zones because our programming is going to request or rather demand that of us. You are going to be seduced by anxiety. You are going to want to seek it out on your own if it doesn't find its way to you. And how reassuring is that, that we have something programmed within us that is going to basically be a safety measure, a safety measure against you living a very timid, quiet, secluded, and what will ultimately feel like an unfulfilled life. Another force that may be causing you to not get better or not find better, make your life better, because it's a strong force, is specific behaviors of yours that are keeping you at the same level of growth or lack of growth, is that behavior may be a trauma response. That behavior may be you trying to remain protected against something that once threatened you and taught you that you must do something every time you are reminded of this, any time you are triggered, you must behave in this particular way or else you are going to be victimized by that threat. Your behaviors 
that you are repeating that you may think you need to get past because you're not growing, you're not developing on a personal level, may be due to trauma responses. They may be your trauma responses. And so becoming aware of certain things that you're trying to simply override without questioning, I don't like this, this is keeping me from getting a promotion, this is keeping me from a healthy and successful relationship, this is keeping me from whatever it is that you desire, may be the product of a trauma that you endured in your childhood or early adolescence or in your adulthood. Nevertheless, understanding and categorizing it as a trauma response is a good initial step in being able to break the barrier of that trauma. There's nothing easy about it, but Again, going back to understanding the importance, the significance of acknowledgement in your own therapy is crucial. It's absolutely crucial to you being able to take even a tiny step forward in your healing. And I'll, I'll leave it to just one more because this, there's just, oh, there is so much to say about the forces within us that sabotage us. Um, I'll leave it to just this one fourth other force, which is alignment. And I love this one. I love this one so much because talking about safety measures within our bodies, within our souls, safety measures, the most remarkable perhaps safety measure that you have within you is your alignment. Because you come ready-made with it, even if you haven't found it yet, even if you haven't gained access to it yet, you are ready-made with your alignment. This is your pull towards truth and away from what isn't. And sometimes what you think, what the mind and the ego allow you to delude yourself into believing that you think you want and need, but isn't for you and can't be for you because your alignment will kick in and it will sabotage your attempts to be what you're not. What a beautiful force, what a beautiful function of the human being to have an alignment system that says, nope, you don't actually want to be a lawyer. You don't actually want to be with someone who treats you this way. You don't actually want to golf. You don't, whatever it is for you. How amazing is it that you, without having done or earned the privilege, have an alignment system that came with your individual soul that is going to protect you from yourself, from your conditioned self, from society telling you what you should be and what happiness looks like. What a beautiful force to have within us. So sometimes, and this is why this is my favorite strong force, it's because it's the one that not just protects you the most, but it's the one that keeps you from becoming who you're not. It is the one that allows you to not get the things you want because they're not what you actually want or they're not what you actually need because you have been been going a little bit off track and your soul wants to see you win at you, not at being someone else or someone else's soul, not at matching up with who you think your soulmate is, but to be you. What a beautiful privilege. You're welcome. Tell the universe, thank you. Thank you for giving me this privilege that I did not earn, but that I can benefit greatly from. We have a deep-seated need to feel good about ourselves. It's true. 
Even those who have the lowest self-esteem, they still want to feel good about themselves because again, that's our human programming that we are acceptant of or growing to be acceptant of so that we can work into it and not try to fight against it our entire lives. We cannot change certain things about ourselves, including things like the ego, including things like our protective mechanisms that sometimes don't feel good, that create a lot of heartache, a lot of distress, a lot of mental anguish. But guess what? These are the things that are required for you to experience your humanness. These are the the, the challenges and the adversities that are going to lead you closer to your truth, that are going to show you to yourself. So again, give a big thank you to the universe. Give a big thank you to your human design because they are working in your favor even when they are tearing you apart. And hopefully that's reassuring to you more than it is off-putting because we don't have a choice. That's the truth of the matter. We don't have a choice. All we can do is to understand what's going on with us so that we can do it a little bit better, so that we can handle it a little bit better. Some realities are just that. They are reality, and we just need to learn how to perceive our reality. If you can better perceive the reality of yourself, then you can better be who it is that you are ultimately going to be regardless. We avoid situations that confirm the negative beliefs that we have about ourselves. It's pretty much what the ostrich effect was saying with our heads in the sand. We don't want to believe negative things about ourselves, but we need to know what they are. That's the trick here is we want to protect ourselves from feeling bad. We want to feel good. We're designed to to seek feeling good. But those negative feelings don't simply go away just because we're programmed to seek pleasure. Because we too are programmed to seek pain and that is what ties us into our truth. That is what ties us into our ability to be very individuated souls. That is what allows us to lead a path that is for us if we allow ourselves to. Because despite us wanting to feel good about ourselves and to maintain a positive self-image, despite us doing our best to adjust our perceptions to protect our ego, And that's called the self-enhancement motive, by the way. Our desire to do anything in our power to make sure that we see things that put a positive light on us so that we don't have to think that we suck all the time. Because how horrible would that be? If you just thought that you sucked all the time because all you saw were your negative attributes, the things that needed a little bit of work or a lot of bit of work, you would never garner the motivation or the discipline to correct for anything. So of course we, we want to feel good about ourselves. Of course we have this defense mechanism where we push away our negative feelings about ourselves and avoid situations that confirm these negative beliefs that we have. But what we can do in order to assist with the way our program is set up is we can monitor our progress. And, 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 you know, if you pay close attention, you'll realize that that's often what's most difficult for people to do. It's to monitor their progress because monitoring your progress means having to make a change to your beliefs or your behavior. 
Because once you see what's actually happening, once you have proof of what's actually happening, what you're doing to yourself, it creates a pressure. Now you have the pressure to act. If I avoid looking at what I, what score I received on an exam, then I can delude myself into thinking perhaps I did better than I actually, you know, deep down feel that I did. But once I see that score, now I have to confront myself. Now I have to acknowledge that, okay, well, the procrastination and, and the, the, the lack of discipline and the time I didn't invest in preparing, and now the result that I got, they match up. Here they are matching up. That's reality. And suddenly I have a choice to make. I have to change. I have to either make myself feel terrible for knowing that I needed to do better and not doing better, which is going to create more negative feelings and demotivate me and and continue to cause my discipline to plummet, or I'm going to decide to do something about it, which is, again, pressure, pressure to act, and I'm going to have to make a change. And despite that being a positive change, something that's going to help me in the long run, in the short term, it's going to force me to feel the feelings of having failed at something, which is why we avoid tracking and and, and monitoring our progress to begin with. We desire psychological consistency. That's the key here. We desire psychological consistency because we can pretty much consider that synonymous to peace, peace of mind, psychological consistency, a more scientific way of saying peace of mind, stability, stable ground to walk on. We desire this because that is going to dictate our behavior. If we feel psychologically consistent, we feel more at ease. We feel more likely to be able perhaps to take a little bit more of a risk. But when we are not in a a state of mental ease, that's when we start to become more reserved. We become fearful. It alters our behavior. It alters our behavior in the short term that is going to create a fearful a type of living type of of action that ultimately does not allow you to reap the beautiful benefits of your long-term success. There's a psychological term called cognitive dissonance, which essentially just means that people maintain their existing beliefs by rejecting new information. I'm going to turn away anything, like we said earlier, that threatens how I want to feel about myself, how I've decided I feel about myself. And in a way, it's, it's another way of saying we rationalize. We rationalize or we avoid altogether in order to protect ourselves. But as I'll continue to remind you in this episode and every other episode and everywhere else you potentially can consume content by me, I am going to remind you that you have to become aware. Awareness is the key to everything you are looking for. The more knowledge you garner around yourself, the more aware you become, the greater your chances are of actually getting to the place and the position in life in which you'd like to be. When we are set on seeing the world in a specific way, we really do go to great lengths to maintain those underlying beliefs. And we also reject anything that contradicts our established self-concept. This is called self-verification motive. We have a lot of psychological motives uh, that 
basically clue us into the fact that we are just this interesting machine that is really trying to do its best. And sometimes its efforts aren't good enough. And that is where the beautiful spiritual world of consciousness and awareness comes into play, in my opinion. You have a system and your system is set up a particular way. And it's going to function how it will function. And what you do with your consciousness will ultimately dictate the outcomes of your system's programming. So what a beautiful gift it is for you to be able, as a human being, you were not born as a ferret. You were not born as some hibiscus plant. You were born in human form with the beautiful privilege of consciousness. And I remind you all the time that if you're here, if you've made it this far in this episode, in this series, if you are listening, then I believe that you are a conscious individual. Regardless of the level of consciousness you feel that you currently embody, you are a conscious individual. And so this is a gift that has been given to you by you inhabiting this earth as a human being. So take advantage of this gift. Learn more about yourself than you have ever known so that not so you can drive yourself crazy with more questions and go on an existential deep dive into a black hole, which is possible, which will likely happen at some point and will likely happen again and again and again if you're going deep enough as it tends to. But nonetheless, you will find a way to resurface every time because your consciousness does that. It is your buoy. It is what is going to protect you against yourself. It is not something for you to be fearful of. It is something for you to be intrigued with or intrigued by. So I hope that after listening to this discussion, you, you can say to yourself, okay, okay, I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that it's me. Even when it's them, it's still me. Because this is your world. This is your life. This is your world. Not in a self-centered way, but in a way where you really should center yourself around yourself. Words are just words and, and understanding what they mean on a level that is beyond human language, uh, understanding that just because I said something and you took it some way doesn't mean that there can't be another way to perceive it that will be more beneficial to you. And that goes not just for what I say, but for what you say to yourself and what the world tells you. There are ways to alter your perceptions that would change the life that you are living. It would give you a new life. But being able to acknowledge the things that are going on around us is is the, the jumping off point for all of us. I get asked all the time whether I get tired of thinking so much or tired of being so deep. And it always, you know... I should say it makes me think more, right? Um, which is ironic. But it, it really, it, it's, it's almost comical to me because the point is not to think more. The point is to understand. And I think sometimes it's true that we don't think enough. Some people don't think enough. But more so than that, it's that we don't understand enough. 
Thinking is just a tool. Sometimes it works against us. Sometimes it works for us. Thoughts are not the answers that we're looking for. Thinking is just a process by way of which we come to understand some level of perception that we are feeding into, that we are buying into. There is no right thought or wrong thought. There are just thoughts that allow us to get to new thoughts that hopefully bring us to some breakthrough that feels inherently like us. So what you may perceive as overthinking when you are being told by someone that you're thinking too deeply or too much on something that doesn't require as much thought, I would like to remind you that it has never been about the thinking. The dialogue in your mind, that has never been the real fruit of what you are doing here. The thinking are just you trying to to get a grip on the ground, on your spiritual ground, to, to get to a place where you don't need to think because you know. So it is funny to be told that one thinks too much because thinking is not even the point. So if you've ever been told that you think too much, I'd like to encourage you and remind you that thinking is you gripping your spiritual ground. And I hope that you continue to grip your spiritual ground, not in a way that drives you crazy, not in a way that leads you down some path of terrible cycling thoughts that aren't serving you, but in a way where you really understand that every single person's path to coming closer to their truth is going to be different. And whatever you need to do to get to yours is your business and it's your privilege. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep following whatever feels authentically aligned with you. And I think this is a great place to leave off and to remind you to go back into this episode and please do the writing exercises that I mentioned. There were two Each of them had a series of questions. Go back, write the questions down and answer them for yourselves and keep answering them. And with that, I leave you. I hope that you share this episode with anyone who you know who is struggling with getting a grip on their spiritual ground. I hope you choose to continue leaning in to whatever is authentically you.